Welcome to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Thomas Risberg, and today on the show, I am honored to welcome Shane Atzweiler, the President and CEO of the Great Falls Area Chamber of Commerce, Gavin Sunquist, the Youth Mentor Manager at Youth Dynamics, and Sandra Gwynn, the President and Secretary of the Cascade County Crime Stoppers. So Shane, Gavin, Sandra, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let's jump right in, Sandra. We have uh, a public safety levy, we know, coming up this fall. And, you know, there's a lot that our our community needs to know. And so tell us about the event that you all are going to have that's going to let our community know about the importance of public safety. Yes. So on August 23rd at 6 o'clock at the Alliance for Youth Marshall Family Hall Meeting Center, we're going to be hosting a community program called Community Safety, Good for Our Community, Good for Our Youth. We are going to be inviting city officials, public safety representatives, and social services professionals who will discuss the upcoming public safety levy and how the recent increase in crime in our community has adversely affected our city's youth. Absolutely. And so we're going to talk a lot about the the state of our community, how, you know, it's been more than 50 years since we've had an increase in public safety spending. But something that I, I want to do first, I find really important uh, in our day and age, is to just get little snippets about, you know, whether it's something in childhood from each of you or, or a seminal experience in life that has made you such a passionate supporter uh, of Crime Stoppers. And so what this is about is trying to kind of push back against what I see as an emerging culture of contempt. And the way I define that is, we just see a very tiny sample, someone's viewpoint on a particular issue. We see that on social media. We make broad generalizations about that person's character, about who they are, how they view the world, that are totally at odds with that person's actual experiences, who they are as a person. And it leads us to not be able to come together to produce positive change in our community. And so something I try to do with this show is to get to better understand the people that are in our community. And so, Sandra, I'm going to start with you. And could you just give our listeners something you've had happen or, or a value that really has inculcated why you do what you do around Crime Stoppers? Well, Thomas, I grew up at a time, I grew up basically in the late 60s and 70s, and uh, in a household that really valued doing the right thing and realizing that there was more to myself. And so I've always valued doing the right thing, respecting authority. Even if you don't always agree with authority, you must respect it because if there isn't that respect, there is going to be chaos. And we've seen that. And that's what I grew up with. And it's just that recognition that there is more to ourselves than ourselves and that we have a responsibility to those outside of us. I have a strong sense of wanting to help our community to the best of what my abilities are. And I honestly think that all of us should do that to whatever skill set we have or to whatever ability we have, do something that is going to make our neighborhoods, our environment a better place. I love that because it really gets at something that's not always talked about. You know, why do we follow the rules? Because 
it prevents you know other people from hurting us it prevents mm-hmm. people from getting hurt it strengthens our community is that it's not like we follow the rules because there's just some authority out there the purpose is for us all to get along together and live in peace and harmony and i don't mean to come across as naive with that that's the truth that's what it's about and so because you know you hear people oh they're a law and order type right as if they just want to for no reason kind of oppress people Mm -hmm. and that it's quite the opposite right is that if you're safe and secure Mm -hmm. and your community is safe and secure you have the freedom to go anywhere anytime and do anything you want and so i love that story thank Mm -hmm. you sandra well thank you and Gavin, let's hear one from you. So my story is I was born, raised here in Great Falls. I was born in 77, so I spent my majority of my time in the 80s and 90s here. <clears throat> On the west side of town, you know, low-income family, I was part of that, and most of my friends were. I think that's what got me into the field of youth dynamics, working with these youth, because a lot of them come from that background of low income, and with that becomes with that comes behaviors and mental health issues. And so, for me, growing up in the 80s and 90s here was a simpler time, I guess I could use that word, but progressively it's gotten a little bit worse with mental health and drugs and all that, and that really affects the youth, and that's really the path I went on for this. You know, you you have a great childhood, and you want to have everyone else have a great childhood, right? And you see it not not happening, and, and you want to do something, and I salute you. For, for jumping in the trenches and, and doing that hard work on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> and Shane, uh, you know, something that, that really has led you to, to take this, you know, so passionately about, about Crime Stoppers and, and community safety. Yeah, I think like Sandra and Gavin, I've lived in Great Falls a few times, uh, third time back and whatnot, and so lived here in the early 70s. And again, you come from simple neighborhoods. I mean, it wasn't extravagant and, you know, middle-income families and whatnot, and everyone took care of each other. I mean, you could play at night, you know, and when the streetlights came on, maybe it was time to head home, but you weren't worried about anything. And again, I think a lot of things have changed in our society as well, too. And the reason why I was passionate about it when I first started with the Chamber is my background with uh, being a regional investigator with loss prevention for Hobby Lobby and just seeing that anybody from any walk of life from those with not much money to those with a lot of money you know they would come in and steal from retailers and for various reasons but they would do that and so um, you know that's a concern and my concern was from the uh, community standpoint from the uh, business standpoint as well too and so being with Hobby Lobby as a regional investigator I had the opportunity to go on a number of conferences for organized retail crime. And in big cities, you know, it's called ORC, organized retail crime. But what what I learned was is that um, a lot of it is driven by drugs. And so whether people are trying to get money for drugs, so they're stealing, committing property crimes or crimes against retailers and getting gift cards and then selling the gift card in the parking lot, or um, people using people that are addicted. And in the big cities, I mean, they go around and they pick up the addicts in vans and they give them a shopping list, a to-steal list, and you're going to go in here and you're going to steal Tide detergent. Or you're going to go in here and you're going to steal this and you're going to steal that and we'll be back in 20 minutes. And they go and they drop them off and then they come back around and they pick them up. And if they stole $500, $600 worth, here's your 50 bucks, here's your 60 bucks. is usually 10% of the theft. And then these folks would then repackage it and so... And it, children's formula, baby formula, was a huge one. 
They actually had warehouses where they would repalletize it, shrink wrap it, and sell it back to the retailers. So you see the dynamics of what's going on. And I mean, that's in large-scale operations. It's going on in Great Falls. Not to that extent, but it is happening in Great Falls as well, too, to some level, to some extent. So my passion about helping crime stoppers and what we need to do in our community is, number one, reduce crime, first and foremost. And I just love kind of, again, the mission. We're trying to make our community better. We're trying to make Great Falls great. And we have a great city. We have a great community. We have great families. But you also see the continuing increase in the patterns and the trends. And we got to do something to step up and stop it. Well said. And I can, I was talking off air about this. The Great Falls that we live in today, in terms of who our leadership are, you know, the values that we see in the institutions here, they are not people that grew up in the 90s or the 2000s or certainly the 2010s and now into the 20s they're the people that grew up in the 60s the 70s and the 80s and i think we need to understand that the community you have now and how it is either inculcating really strong values into kids or kind of letting them you know through what i call benign neglect just kind of work their way through the world right and not really uh, having the, those boundaries set, having uh, people in their life that, that support them and nurture them, you're not going to have the same community 30 years from now that you do today. And if we want to print, some of that's already baked into the cake, right? I mean, we've already had years of, of kids that are really struggling and are in early adulthood now, and we see them really struggling. We need to act today if we want to change the trajectory and ensure that things don't deteriorate really rapidly, you know, 20, 30 years when those folks that are kind of now leading and, and really did have those strong values, they were in, I call it, it's in the water, right? When a community's functioning well, and in this, Sandra, I think you were kind of getting at this, you don't think about it. You're just always surrounded by folks who love and support you and say, hey, because we all want to have a great community, we need to work together and we need to follow rules. And that was just taken for granted. And I think we can now say that's no longer take. We cannot take that for granted. We are going to need to actively work on this intentionally as a community. And Gavin, I think that's a great time to, to segue over to you. Talk about in your work, you know, what are the challenges that, that youth that are coming to you are confronting? You know, the biggest challenge that we have is trauma, and that looks has many different faces. Um, with the inflow, you know, the inflow of drugs in the family scene now, and mental health and all that, we're seeing a lot of youth that are coming in with a lot of PTSD, a lot of other mental health issues, and unfortunately, we're seeing is a lot of generational things. So these kids are growing up and seeing this misbehavior i'll use that word from the parents and then it's trickling down and so it's kind of like i like what you said about we need to get going now because like i said we're going generational here and if it keeps going where's it gonna head and that scares me <laughs> like absolutely and so the ones that i want to kind of really tie down is, okay, so you have, you know, PTSD, right? I think we generally think of that as something that is folks that served in the military, first responders, right? When you were, just let us know, you know, wh what does that look like without being graphic, right? Wh what are these traumatizing experiences that kids are going through? 
Here's can be a simple one. Uh, it can be uh, child and family services coming into the home and removing the child due to the parents' drug use or crimes or whatever that looks like. So yeah. I think that's really because you're right. We we associate PTSD with military and first responders, but I, I it's everybody goes through it in some form, especially when you're younger and you're not understanding the things around you, and then law enforcement comes in and all these things are happening and you get swept away. And so the child's up there to go, what just happened? <laughs> like, and that, that's just, it's happening more and more. Yep. And I do, the, the generational one I don't think can be emphasized enough because it shows you what interventions are going to, you're going to need to have it work is that, so the, the one I hear, right, is foster care kids have foster care kids, right? So kids that grow up in foster care often have kids that are then removed and put in foster care. And you see this cycling through. Well, I think what we need to then just stop and say is whatever we're doing right now doesn't work, right? Correct. And it hasn't been working. I mean, I, there's nothing more disheartening that someone in this field, right, for 20 years they've been in it and they see the kids that they were first working with, right, when they were really young. Now they've got two kids and they're in, they're back in the exact same situation. So from the kind of perspective of mental health and I want to try to get as specific as possible what does it do to a child that undergoes this trauma and whether it's you know something someone coming and removing their parents or you know being abused themselves you know being left alone for days while you know their parent or guardian is out on a drug binge what does that do brain chemistry developmental wise to these kids brains that really slows down development and that really poses a lot of challenges because, you know, in a normal family, mom's there, dad's there, there's the structure. But when that gets taken away and you're left to be raised by, thankfully, other foster families, but those are different families, so they're imposing different things into these child's lives that they may not be used to up to that point. So uh, cultural, cultural competency is a big thing. And I think that's another rabbit hole we could go down. <laughs> when I'd like to go down there. I'd like to go down that rabbit hole. I think this is the show to really do that is that so I hear a lot of terms, you know, historical trauma. And you hear folks that will talk about the experience of Native Americans that have been sent to boarding schools. Right. And, and so this stuff goes back really, really deep. And so explain what cultural, you know, you can hear all these different terms, right? It's culturally relevant, cultural competency, cultural humility, I've heard a lot. Um, what does that consist of? You know, it's going to be a little bit different for every culture, but like the when we hit on the most of the native culture, which is a very big culture here, and uh, a lot of times in those removals, the if the children are native, they don't necessarily get taught some of their culture. So that kind of disappears also. And when that disappears, I think that adds to the big picture. Absolutely. And then so is the idea that we want to try to... So you have a child that's been removed, right? Is it that when you have kind of wraparound services come in, that they're able to have ways to connect with their culture through, you know, the interventions? Yes, definitely. Okay. Definitely. And it's all, that's, that's what we really want. You know, that's that cliche saying it takes a village. And I, people laugh about that sometimes, but it really does. It takes a village to raise, and the more we work together instead of against each other, 
and the more we look at the issues and what needs to happen to progress away from these removals or this trauma, then. And I think you hit on a key word too, Thomas and, and Gavin, but use the word connect with cultures. And so when you're growing up in a family and you're a young person, you're connected with your family, right or wrong with their, maybe they've, they have a certain set of values or maybe they're a little bit dysfunctional and don't we all kind of come from semi-dysfunctional families. But I mean, when it's truly dysfunctional, there's still a connection there because it's a family unit. And then all of a sudden that unit's tore apart. Or as Native Americans, they're connected to the culture being a Native American. And all of a sudden that's pulled apart. And I think as a youth, and, and tell me if I'm not right, definitely. Um, but there's security in being connected to that family unit and that culture. And when all of a sudden that's ripped away from you at a young age, I'm just thinking five or six. I mean, you're starting school, you're trying to connect with your friend, you're trying to connect with your teacher. Human beings, we're social beings. We love connections. I mean, Take a look what the pandemic did. We lost a lot of social connections. And now look what it's doing to our youth in our schools. And so people, why do people join gangs? You hear about the big cities because they want that connection. They want to feel like they belong to something. And I think really the trauma is, in my mind, um, is that all of a sudden that connection is ripped apart. But that's the only thing they know. And so now they're trying to reestablish connection with another family unit, but they still don't feel a part of it. It's kind of like, again, I moved a lot growing up, and you're the new kid in school. You really don't connect that strongly, and I did. I fortunately had good friends all throughout the whole, but to try and come in as a new kid into a new group of students and classmates of yours, it's hard to find that connection. And so when you think about it that way, I mean, what, what do they do in the military? And you know that, Gavin. They broke you down, and they rebuilt you up as a team, so you're connected to one another. My life depends on yours, and your life depends on me and me making sure I play my role as well too. And man, I think if anything, that's probably the most traumatic experience I could imagine is just you know having these youth taken from their families, even though it's better for them. I mean, that's gotta have a profound effect on them down the road. And I think you touched on it too, that cycle. Oh, and it does because you, you think about, you know, the parents may have an, a drug addiction or they may might be a career criminal or whatever that looks like. That's still their parents. And it, it doesn't matter what wrong they've done. That's still mom and dad. Mm. And so there's that connected piece. It's just once it gets removed, then it kind of goes south real quick. Absolutely. And I, and I always say, you know, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And, and I think that a lot of what I see, right, is that kids feel that people are indifferent to them, right? And that they're just kind of floating along right and that there's no question that i think you hit on it shane it is connection connection is that missing piece and i think that lack of it whether we're amongst adults right i mean you know you think about statistics i hear are that you know some large percentage of american adults have not a single person that they can share their emotions with safely that's very damaging to your point. Like I'm from the time we were back on the savannas, right? Being in groups, being in connection, feeling safe and stable and in relationship is the foundation of, of like a healthy, you know, emotional, mental life. Well, I, so I hear all of this kind of coming together. And I think typically, Sandra, as you said, in, in the past, it just happened organically. You were raised in a family. The family went to church. They went to, you know, whatever their religious faith organization was. They were engaged in the community, the school. And we just kind of watched the gears turn, but we didn't really know that they were turning, 
and that th- that there was this machinery, right? It just kind of operated on autopilot. I think we can say, based on statistics, that's no longer happening, right? That the the number of kids that are in foster care, the number of kids that are homeless, uh, and just to give you, you know, it, it's I think there's what three hundred plus kids in Cascade County right now that are in foster care. I'm not sure the numbers, but I would believe that's pretty close. And that's down yeah. from from just recent years. And, you know, the, the homeless population, kids that are homeless at some point during the years, hovering right there around 500. Again, in a population, that's in Great Falls, 60,000, right? Think about what the under-18 population is. Those foster care numbers are 80,000 Cascade County. We haven't seen this. Like, it, it really is a completely new horizon for us and so talk to me about you know what you guys foresee and anyone jump in here what are potential solutions for moving the dial so we can give connection help people you know work through their trauma in this kind of new environment that we're confronting you know i would say just coming together as a community and educating each other that's the biggest thing I think when people realize what's going on or realize what needs to be done, it'll make it that much easier to proceed. Like, Yeah, I think we, we've got to get down to the core part of the issue. And I think Gavin touched on is that, you know, what do we need to do to break the cycle, whatever that cycle is? I mean, if, if um, uh, we have addictions going on in our community, a lot of these treatments, you and I have these discussions, Thomas, quite a bit. You're treating the symptoms or the problem, not the core issue. You know, I loved watching The Biggest Loser, that TV show, because they, they had to get into the people's heads on what was going on with them internally in order to try and fix the problems that were causing them to overeat or not exercise or whatever it might be. But they had to get inside their heads. And they talked about that a lot. I've got to break them down. I've got to figure out what's going on so we can fix what's going on. And I think that's kind of what we need to do. I mean, when, when um, we, we start take a look at people and say, we just can't treat the headache. What could be causing the headache? Why are your shoulders tense? You know, what is going on that we need to work on? And it could be physically, it could be psychologically, it could be the home environment, it could be whatever. But we got to start getting down to the core root of things and break the cycle and then start starting a new cycle. That's the other part and piece as well, too, is we just can't break one and then leave the void. Anytime there's a void or vacuum, something will fill it. And then what do we need to fill that with? Well, love, compassion, hope, that there's going to be a great future ahead of you if you start heading down this path. And I think that's important with the work we do. And we're trying to develop different pathways for people in our community that, you know what, you don't have to be stuck in the cycle or stuck in this part of life. We can head down a brand new pathway. We just opened up a brand new Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine. What an incredible pathway. I mean, when you think about that momentous occasion right here in Great Falls right now, just stop. Stop and think. We have a medical school right here. We got kids that can go to high school, take health classes, medical classes, take dual credit at Great Falls College, then go to the University of Providence, graduate with their bachelor's, and walk right into Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine. What a phenomenal pathway we're creating in our community. We need to do more of that. We need to show that our youth and our kids in our community, here's a pathway to a great future. Just stay on that pathway and stay straight. And I I think what you hit on there that is important to keep in mind and in context right is that there are a lot of great things going on in our community i you know being in this area i never want to be you know doomsday all the time and that what 
you know, we always want to celebrate, right, these great things going on and never lose focus of that. But by the same token, you know, sort of if you've got a car, right, and it breaks down, it could be a great car. But you focus on what caused it to break down, right? Is that it doesn't mean it's not a great car. You just that's where we're going to put our energy. And I just want our listeners to get. I mean, I think that's an important context to see everything with. But there, by the same token, needs to be a sense of urgency. And and I want to try to get move to sort of specifics. So when you're at Youth Dynamics, and you're wondering, you know, if there, what interventions do you wish you could do? Like, what are the solutions? that are sitting there that we need people to be aware, right? And awareness then hopefully is a catalyst for action. And, and what do we need more of in this community? Public safety interventions. And I, I use that word just because without those, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure, really. I mean, in the last... Even the last 20 years, we've had an influx in mental health. We've had an influx in crime, um, homelessness influx in population when we when you have the lack of those uh safety protocols or interventions that will help the community that's think that's where we struggle the most you know uh i have lots of youth who don't like police officers and when i ask them why they can't really give me an answer other than my parents told me so and so I, i think about that and i'm like that's not good. And I mean, how many more people like that have that same thought process? So public safety writ large, you know, covers a lot of different areas. I think for our purposes here today, when we look at what does the public safety levy offer our community? And I I, I know that they've come out with some specifics, right, about what this would provide. So could you guys explain you know, well, what we need is more public safety. That's a big kind of tent of different things. What are they discussing that it's going to provide? Well, definitely more police officers. And we know, though, that with that, then that will increase the number of arrests. Well, then that has consequences. And so right now, the courts uh, and the legal system is bogged down. And it's bogged down right now. Well, if there are more police and more arrests, and that's going to bog it down even more. And so the public safety levy will also improve staffing for the legal department and bring help bring in another um, municipal court judge. Because the city of Great Falls only has one municipal judge right now, and he is definitely overworked. So he definitely needs um, assistance in that area. But... Um, Right now, too, you know, in keeping with our topic, is we have in the city of Great Falls only four school resource officers to mentor about 11,000 kids. Now, 11,000, how many towns in Great Falls aren't even close to that number? And so when you think about it, only four officers to mentor these kids. And, it, and I struggle a little bit with this because, again, I grew up in the time that if a police officer came to the school, it was a bad day, a bad day. Police did not live in the schools when I was growing up. And so many of these kids of this, this generation, I mean, they don't even realize that, that there was a time when you did not have to have policemen in the schools unless there was really a serious situation happening. It, they were not a fixture. 
And uh, given what's going on now, again, we only have four officers right now trying to mentor 11,000 students. And I think a couple of things, too. And Sandra and I sat on the Great Falls Crime Task Force mm -hmm. two years ago. It's hard to believe. Keep someone said, I was telling somebody, oh, I was last year. No, it was two years ago. So, But really, we sat down and we really took a look at it. We did a number of things, heard a lot of information that other communities are doing as well, too. But then there was a session that was facilitated. What did we really need to land on as kind of our cornerstones of what we wanted to propose to the city? So there were four things. Number one was resources. And so that's what Sandra touched on is resources for our police. We need more police officers on our street showing that they're there. They're there to hear they're there to protect and serve and assist. Someone's having a bad day, they're there to help protect and assist. If someone's doing something bad, they're there to protect and serve the rest of our community, law-abiding citizens, from the bad actors, if you would. So resources for our police, resources for our fire, because they're called out on every mm -hmm. call as well now, too. They got Narcan on them. They run into more, you know, overdoses, and they've got to give them that shot immediately. So resources for that. Our prosecutors, because if we're going to put more police officers out, we're going to catch more criminals. Well, that's going to overload the prosecutors. Mm -hmm. And then the judicial part, which you mentioned, Judge Bolstad, highest caseload, uh, second highest in the state, highest criminal caseload in the state. But we're the second highest, second to Billings, and we have one <coughs> municipal judge. Billings has three. Missoula has three. We have one. So think about the caseload that that has because it's going to be a trickle-down effect. So that's the resources that we landed on as one of the things that we need to provide. And this public safety levy will help provide that. Communication and education. And that's why we're doing the forum. We want to communicate to citizens. How can you keep yourself safe? Well, let's talk about not leaving your car keys in your car in the wintertime. Let's be proactive in that. In October, November, say, hey, you just went shopping. You want your car to warm up. Don't leave the keys in it. It's more likely to get stolen. I have personal stories of chamber members that have had that happen to them. So how can we communicate and educate our public more effectively on what is going on in our city? And again, um, we, we try to highlight the positive and all of that, but we do have some core issues that you mentioned as well, too. And so we, what are those core issues and what can we do to help with that? So resources, communication, education. The other one is collaboration of partnerships. So when there is someone having a, I'll just say a mental episode, okay? We know that there's some mental issues there. And so, but they're having an episode. They don't need the police to show up. That heightens and escalates the situation. We need mental health counselors to come in there. We need a person like Gavin to help go into the home maybe and say, I've got the resources to help. We don't need the police come in. Everything blows up. Let's get the right people there that have dealt with it. They're trained to deal with it. And how can we do that? And there have been some great partnerships that have been going on in our community lately. And so they see that. And again, they're being proactive, which is awesome. They're doing that. And then the last one was consequences. That if you're going to commit crimes in Great Falls, there will be consequences. We just can't slap on the wrist and no cash bails. We can't go down that path. Again, I'm all about grace and mercy. Absolutely. You know, give someone a lot of chances. But at some point, you've got to know there's hard consequences to it as well. So I think those are the things we landed on. But more than anything, the public safety is important. It will provide resources to our community that they need to address all of this. And again, to keep safe, Great Falls safe as we continue to grow, go forward and grow our community and continue to help with all the great things that are going on in Great Falls. Yeah, so I want to unpack. There's a lot of good stuff there. The first one I will say is on consequences. And I do think, look, I, I believe that in our society, we have started to mistake uh, permissiveness for compassion. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's actually the kind of easy way out, right? Human beings need boundaries. 
the rule of law is essential to a functioning society, letting somebody continue to use drugs, continue to harm themselves and others is not compassionate. And I think you will see a, a cohort of folks that believe that giving someone an, a, a consequence is inhumane in and of itself. And I, I think the, the kind of retort to that is that to me, that mentality steals that person's dignity. It's extraordinarily patronizing and condescending. What it says is that we cannot expect this human being to ever better themselves, follow the rules, be a contributing member of the community. So what we need to do is just let them do their thing and hope they don't destroy too much. And that's considered compassion. And I, I want to really push back on that mentality. Uh, the compassionate thing to do, right, is to do the hard work to get the Gavins out there to, to get the resources they need. But by the same token, a lot of people get their start, right, when they've been down, whether it's addiction, mental health, through the criminal justice system. Now, I'm not saying we're going to lock everyone up. That approach doesn't work. It does mean that to treat someone with dignity is to give them consequences. Mm -hmm. And and I think we've really started to lose track of that. And so I thank you for that, Shane. Uh, other ones that I want to hit on, and you can, you know, do you work with uh, school resource officers quite a bit, Gavin? We do, actually. Our mentors work pretty hand-in-hand -hand with them because we do have our mentors that work in the schools during the year. So, so a lot of our youth are there because of the behaviors, and so there's often times where <laughs> we have to collaborate. <laughs> Back of the hand math, right? So you're looking at you were over, you know, 2,500 kids per SRO that, you know, there's not a lot of mentoring going on when you got 2,500 kids. It's a lot of where's the next crisis. And so we would add new SROs. And can you think about how that would change the work that you do? It would change it drastically because then we could, instead of something happens and we're searching for that SRO who's probably on another situation or with another kiddo you know I, I feel like time is of the essence in some of these situations so that would be a huge help plus it's it's like the numbers you said the case that's a huge caseload for one officer to have <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and you talk about if, if if we've got a bunch of kids that are saying I don't like police because my parents said you shouldn't like police what better way to counteract that than to have an officer there that is showing you that they are compassionate, caring, and want the best for that child. Well, if you've got four of them for 11,000 kids, it's just not going to have that effect. And so I, I guess what I'm trying to get at with this kind of idea is that it is public safety, right? It's not just a like, hey, give us more money so we can lock up a bunch of people, right? It's give us more money and we can take a comprehensive approach that addresses public safety in a way that's good for our youth that's good for every citizen living here and it's also good for people that are struggling and need resources mm -hmm. the one that i cannot highlight enough is that if you don't intervene early on most people will continue until there's something really bad mm -hmm. that happens so that by being having enough police and prosecutors it's not, you know, I think it's generally thought of as like, oh, that's all about protecting the public. That definitely is a core 
purpose. It is also a way of restraining this person who's on a really bad path and giving them an opportunity to kind of take stock, right, of where they are in their life. And then it's important that we have all those resources on the back end, right, that when they are getting ready to come out that they have access to mental health care and they can work on their trauma. And I know that this funding, right, will allow for things like that, correct? Yeah, that's, that's some of the things that we're taking a look at because some of the things we also mentioned was, you know, let's say someone does something and they're a first offender. We don't want to throw the book at them or we want to kind of assess the situation. And so one of the things that we had recommended was pretrial services, yeah. that they take a look at it and they say, okay, we think, we believe that this is not a hardened criminal or it's a first-time offender whatever. Okay, lowest fine, whatever it is. So we there is a consequence, but then hopefully they've learned their lesson and they move on. But maybe we have these repeat. And so we have these repeat that have kind of gone through the system a few times. Let's take you through pretrial services, which means that there are several programs and you have to adhere to the programs. And then that's kind of your get-out-of-jail-free card. But you've got to maintain the program. You've got to go through the length of the program. You've got to stay in it. You've got to do the work. And at the outcome, here's the thing. You avoid this additional jail time or you try to break that cycle again with pre-trial services. If you do mess up during the program, yeah, you're going back to jail. And so there's consequences to that. So that was one of the things. I believe it was Helena, if I remember right, was doing pre-trial services and looked like a great program, which was, again, a thing that we recommended as well, too. So part of it is also providing resources for those programs as well, too. Let's redeem people. Again, there's good people, bad mistakes. Okay, there is going to be a consequence. But then there's people caught up in the cycle. And again, how do we break it? pre-trial service can definitely be a viable option for these folks. And that consequence doesn't always have to be a punitive thing. It could be right. getting them to treatment. It could be, you know, first-time offender treatment courts, which I love the, the, the model of treatment courts and what they do. Absolutely. And I think, so the treatment courts generally, you know, we have great treatment courts here, right? Whether it's, you know, there's youth court, there's adult drug treatment court, and then there's veterans treatment court. One thing that I, I love here is this pre-trial stuff is it's a, go, it's a good way to get upstream. So you can actually look at when uh, people are getting into recovery. This is addiction and alcoholism. Oftentimes, you have young females are getting in earlier because Child and Family Services is intervening, and that's the hook, and it makes them make life-changing decisions right to to get their kid back but they live great lives and they start earlier whereas you'll have a male that may have to wait until they're in their 30s or 40s because they got to catch a felony and that's how they get into you know drug treatment court or whatever so i love the idea of going upstream and saying hey we can see this you know this is your third misdemeanor uh, it's not working the fine and whatnot, at least offer people off ramps. I always, I call mm -hmm. them off ramps that it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, if you want to keep going on this road, you know, there's going to be consequences. That's you gotta, you know, face those, but I'll tell you what, here's a different life right off over here. And there's going to be requirements and we're going to verify that you're not using drugs. You're not using alcohol that, you know, you're maintaining employment, this kind of stuff. But I, I think that the, there's been a false dichotomy between one side is all about 
you know, public safety and throw the book at them. And one side is about restorative and and we're going to, you know, just kind of kumbaya our way to, uh, you know, a better society. And yet I think the overlap is really much more than anyone uh you know, can look if you if you saw the the argument from the outside, so to speak, and that you know the same people that are for you know increasing uh, police right and want more prosecution and whatnot are also the same people that are leading innovative programs in pre-trial detention that are leading innovative programs in treatment courts and whatnot. That they're not, it's not one or the other. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think, like you said, there's got to be that balance, you know, mercy and grace, but also knowing there are going to be some consequences. But I think, again, this is a great alternative that you can take a look at and say, here's another option or road or off-ramp, like you mentioned, that we can take you on, that can take you out of what's going on and put you on a different path. And it's got to be that catalyst, you know, catalyst for change. And again, you kind of started that, you know, why did we get involved? Well, we felt we wanted to be a catalyst for change in our community for the greater good of our community. And I think this is a program that can really do that for people that say, you know what, I'm done with this life. I need another life. And someone's showing them a pathway down to another better life. Absolutely. And I do love, I don't know if you guys follow, but I highly encourage all our listeners. You know, the Great Falls Police Department does a great job on the serve side on their Facebook page that, you know, I read a story last week. There was a police officer that caught someone shoplifting and realized that they were getting medicine for their child. Actually, not only you know was the person not arrested, they didn't tell anyone paid for the medicine for that person. So I, I think we want to make it clear that there's nothing like we're trying to you know crack down on people that are barely getting by. That a lot of this is you know these are folks that are in, in organized shoplifting, right? That this is not like we're taking the person that has a loaf of bread right and and throwing the book at them and i because i think that those do get conflated right and and people kind of miss the the you know forest for the trees so to speak they just point at a couple little episodes something that i want to talk about because you guys have been a force multiplier for so long is you know i know the event is about community safety right Mm -hmm. and it's you know good for our community good for our youth and that and that we need uh you know more resources but Crime Stoppers has served as a force multiplier of sorts for the police uh, for quite some time. And Sandra, I wanted to just give our listeners, you know, some background on, on Crime Stoppers. Well, we were organized about 1985, and Crime Stoppers is coordinated through the Cascade County Sheriff's Office. And what we do, we are an independent board. So even though we're coordinated through law enforcement, the board is independent. We're made up. We right now have 13 community members, volunteer, coming from all walks of life. Almost all are professional. I think we might have one or two retired folks on the board right now. But we, most people know us as the entity that would pay out cash rewards for tips that led to the arrest of a suspect. And we still do that. And it is amazing uh, how we reach our demographic is through Facebook. And we have now over 12,000 followers. And every month we post the most wanted list. And in fact, sometimes when it's a little bit late, we'll be notified, where's the list, where's the list? And um, we have people that look at that list. And uh, in fact, we just posted the list here a few days ago and it's already had more than a 12,000 reach. So it gets out there and it's shared. And um, you know, we were talking about some of the comments that are made 
you know, yes, there has to be compassion, but there has to be consequences. And it's interesting to sometimes read some of those comments that are on the Facebook page. You know, the people with on Crime Stoppers, they have already been adjudicated. These are not people that are waiting to be determined whether they're guilty or not. They've already been found guilty. They're out on probation, parole, and now they're violating those those conditions. And so, you know, I'll see some comments. Well, oh, they're a real good person, you know. But, well, hello, you know, they're back in trouble. And they're continuing to be back in trouble. And these, some of them have to do with, you know, child crimes, you know, uh, partner interference and all of those kinds of things. And then yet some of these comments, well, they're just, they're still a good person. So that, in and again, this gets back to from where I come from, to me that's enabling that. Because again, this isn't just a person with, this was just a one-time thing. It may have started out that way, but somewhere along the line it's escalated and they continue to be in trouble and now they're on the lam. And they're on the most wanted list. Well, that's not a good place to be. And I think the one that I try to get across is that they very well might be a good person. Like we're not making a judgment about right. their fundamental character. But at the end of the day, if you want a functioning society, people that steal repeatedly, people that beat people up, that assault people, we can't just allow that to continue not because we think they're a bad person or we don't have empathy for what they may have been through in their life, but because you cannot have a functioning society if people do not feel safe. And I wanted to, to transition to this, Shane, and get kind of your perspective, especially on businesses. I mean, I, I do think people's perception can become reality. And if, if businesses, if people feel that Great Falls is dangerous, it will, regardless of the truth and the statistics, it will have a negative effect. I can tell you, I have friends, you know, I'm from St. Louis, right? I, I tell people, this is the best community I've ever been in in my life. I'll walk anywhere in the city of Great Falls at any time of night. Like, you know, some of this really is perception, right? And what your risk tolerance is too. But I hear people that say, I don't want to go to Great Falls. I don't want to go at night. And is this is this something, you know, because people need to take this into account as citizens and, and voters, right? Is is the perception of is Great Falls serious about getting a handle on public safety? And, you know, is this something that is a high issue? You know, people come here and I think would think businesses, you know, they want to know about, you know, what the what the income is like, what the job market, skills, those kind of things. But on the periphery, housing, right? Childcare, these things. But on the periphery, you know, do these conversations come up when you're talking to current business owners, prospective businesses? Yeah, they do, because I think one of the number one issues we're facing as a community, um, with several, but it is workforce. I mean, you see help wanted signs everywhere. And so, and major corporations, whether that's Benefits or Great Falls Clinic or Malmstrom or others, um, as we're trying to attract people to Great Falls to, to move here, to work here, to live here, um, what are people going to look at when they move to a community? They're going to look at housing. Okay, how much is a house going to cost? Because they want to know that. They want to start thinking along those lines. Second thing they look at if they got a family, they look at the schools. How good are the schools in Great Falls? we got great schools. So we're the most affordable housing in the state among the major cities. Uh, we've got phenomenal, fantastic schools in Great Falls. And then what's the third thing they look at? Crime stats. And if we're second 
to Billings, and yet we're the third largest city and fifth largest county, but we're the second highest in crime, uh, second highest in vehicle thefts in the winter, and that's why I mentioned earlier, don't leave your keys in your car when you're warming your car up, even though you want to. I mean, they're going to look at crime statistics, and so all of a sudden, man, I just saw on the internet, I pulled up city data, and you guys got crime going on there. So does every community, and part of it's due to our population. We have a low population, so when we have these things popping up, then it's going to drive our stats up a little bit higher as well, too. Um, so we've got to keep a handle on that, and that's part of this public safety levy. If we can keep our crime stats level or lower than where we should be in ranking as far as city size and things like that, we're better off. And again, it just comes down to the numbers of what we need to do. And again, we strongly feel that if we give the right resources and give the resources to our law enforcement and to our fire department and to the judicial and then proactive in our communication and our education and proactive in partnering and collaboration, we're going to drive those stats down. But we can't do it without the support. And that's where it kind of comes down to this public safety levy is we got to provide this support. They're short officers. I think there was a fire at National Laundry recently. And if you go back to KRTV and read uh, Chief Jeremy Jones's report, he goes, we don't have enough people. It's not because of lack of not wanting to. You could go join the fire department right now if you wanted to and get a job. It's because they don't have enough to staff the shift. And if you got problems with staffing, you're not ever going to have enough resources to stay on top of things and kind of keep a lid on things. We're always going to have criminal activity. We're always going to. Every community is going to. But how do we manage it? And you have to manage it by having the right number of people and the right resources. One of the things that we did too is we, we've taken our leadership Great Falls class and leadership high school and we even did a business training up there too. But if you go up to the emergency call center and the stat blew me away, they get over 80,000 calls a year. 80,000 calls. Now I'm a numbers guy. I like to put math to it. Let's just say 84,000. So I'm going to break down the numbers because it's going to make it easy for me. 84,000 a year, 12 months, that's 7,000 a month. Divide that by four weeks. That's over 1,700 a week. Even if you divide that by whether it's by 365 days or by the month and then the number of days in a week, you're going to get about an average of 240 calls a day. Think about that. 240 calls a day. That's 10 an hour. That's one call every six minutes into the emergency center. Do they have enough resources? They don't. And so again, part of this public safety levy is to provide the resources we need to take care of the calls, to get the police or fire to respond to the incident, to keep everyone else safe. And that's again, part of what the public safety levy is gonna do. Absolutely, and Shane, you might know more about this. So I've heard from the you know Great Falls Fire about you, you know this can affect your insurance rates right and you can you kind of put some meat on that yeah so some of the statistics and Sandra correct me if I'm wrong but the, the city geographically has grown 40 percent since they last passed the last public safety levy in 1969 when man walked on the moon so it's been over 40 years and so if we've grown 40 percent geographically our city is spread, and we've got sprawl, that urban sprawl. Well, part of it is the insurance rating. You know, how can the fire department now cover when we haven't built a station in I don't know how many decades, cover the new expansion of the city and the growth of the city? We can't. We can't meet the, the minimum standard for the national response time. We're two minutes beyond that. And if we're not responding it with enough fire people as well, well, guess what that does to our insurance ratings? It goes up. It goes up for our community. We're going to see it on our property taxes. It's going to go up individually on your property taxes as well, too, because one of the questions are, how close are you to a fire hydrant when you're getting homeowner's insurance? Or how close is a fire station? They want to know the response times. And that's going to affect your individual insurance, too. So it's a domino effect with that. But part of it is the city rating on the insurance due to the response time from these calls. 
Yeah, and I, I saw that the numbers that were being bandied about, you know, this is not a dollar or two, right? It's, it's it's quite significant on what you could be paying there. So because some of that's, you know, you always hear that, you know, life's hard, choose your hard, right? Where it's like, <laughs> you know, well, no one likes to spend money, choose where you want to spend it, right? On being proactive or just shoveling it out to, a you know, some insurance agency outside of the, mm-hmm. the community, right? You know, do you want to spend it here or on insurance? And so something that I, I kind of want to finish with is – I'd like each of you to, whether it's a story or, or a program, something that you could envision that, you know, if you had a magic wand, you know, what would you really love to see in our community that you think could move the dial around public safety? So I think a couple of things. I think, you know, some of the work that the Chamber's doing and working on with workforce development, you know, we need to give our youth in our community an opportunity to early on find out what they're passionate about and say, I want to choose that as a career. Now you've got them on a path in the future. I mean, when I was really young, this will be funny. When I was really young, I wanted to be a fire truck. Not a fireman, <laughs> I wanted to be a fire truck. Okay, so I can't be a fire truck. And so then I want to be a professional baseball player. But you start giving kids a hope of a path that they want to be on. And really, that's the life-changing dynamic that uh, I hope to offer in our community as well, too. And so that's part of what we're doing with the Chamber and Central Montana Works and Workforce Development is getting in our schools. And we got phenomenal partners. I mean, Tom Moore, his leadership team, Heather Hoyer, um, Lance, and Jackie as well, too, they're on board. And so how can we get our kids and our youth and our community excited about the opportunity after they get out of high school? And so, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, let's get them excited about it and then find out what skills and aptitude they have for it. And maybe they're good at science. Maybe they're good creatively. Maybe they're good with math. Maybe they're good with biology. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Good with their hands. They like to dig in the dirt. There's a phenomenal trade anywhere in Great Falls in our area, and we want to get them excited about it. I love it because I fundamentally think people miss that connection, that workforce development, especially when you're going back to middle schoolers, and that's a form of public safety spending. Because if we have motivated people that are doing meaningful work, they're not committing crimes. So I love it. So workforce, pipeline, Gavin? Uh, You know, for me, I'm going to go to the judicial system or the courts because a lot of our cases are in the courtrooms. And when they get extended like they do, it's just it's rough around the kids. So I, I think that if we saw the courts not so backed up, in cases going through quicker, that might alleviate some of those things. Ah, that's a great one. So there are courts where kids are left in limbo as things just get continued, 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 continued. I think that's something I did not know. I knew that, like, guardian ad litems, you know, we were really needing more people and that that was stressed. But so there are a lot of cases on family law stuff that just aren't moving. Correct, correct. And they're kind of, like you said, they get continued, continued, continued. And the longer those take, the more trauma it adds to those kiddos oh 100 there's nothing worse than being in limbo about what's going on with you and your family and so can you give just our listeners a, a broad what would be a a long time for a case to be up before there's a conclusive judgment well now don't quote me but i believe cfs has to have their cases done in about 18 months and i've been on some cases that have went into the two three year mark wow okay so we're talking about a kid you know, I think about that, yeah. So you don't have anything definitive coming in at 8, still pending when you're 11. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean that, think about consequences. I mean, we talk about consequences one way. Well, that's a consequence because we don't have enough prosecutors, we don't have enough judges, and because we don't have enough resources for that, that's a consequence that happens to the family. And then why are and everyone else the bad? Well, it's because we haven't been able to get them through the system quickly enough. And that's a phenomenal point. And then Sandra? Well, and that kind of ties into one of the big things. It's about education. I am really strong on education. And so many times, in my experience, those that have the most to say usually know the least. You know, they have all these opinions about what's going on out there, and they never attend a meeting. They never hear the facts from the people who are actually on the street having to deal with whatever the situation is. Take advantage of all of these opportunities to learn and really listen. And in our program, in fact, we're going to also be hosting another one on October 10th. We're not going to be advocating how to vote on this levy. Right. It's about educating. And whether you are in favor of the levy or not, at least leave that meeting. I want people to be able to say, I'm glad I came. I learned something I did not know. And one of the things, you know, bringing up the the situation with the kids being in limbo for so long, one of the big problems this uh, Judge Bolstad has is he can't get jurors for city trials. Okay. So imagine if you're in a situation where you are, you know, regardless of what your position is in the trial, you can't have that trial because there aren't enough jurors. People are not even taking that responsibility seriously. They don't respond. I mean, that I've been summoned for jury duty. It never crosses my mind not to make that phone call to get myself registered. I mean, that is not even on the radar screen not to do. But that mentality has changed. Oh, well, I don't need to do this. And they don't. And what the effect that that has, and that's why a lot of these cases, now they're mistrials. And so there you go. I, I mean, it, it just continues to add to it gets back to the some of the comments we see on on our Facebook page. How come these people are out on the street after all of these things they've done? How come they're back out on the street? Well, this is part of it. Yeah. I mean, we all have a responsibility to what's going on. You know, we can blame the criminals, and yeah, they're they're a big part of it. But every single one of us has a responsibility. And even you know, if you're sitting there just, oh well, it's not my problem. I don't even have kids, so what do I care what's going on? You're part of the problem. You know, it's that empathy. No, you, if nothing else, educate yourself. I like that. So it's just, the idea is sort of be the change you want to see in the world, right? Yeah. If you want to see something be different, get up and, and make a difference. So that is a perfect segue into, I want to give our listeners the information one last time to come out and start their journey supporting the community or continue it, of course. But when is the form? Uh, our forum is on August 23rd at 6 o'clock at the Alliance for Youth Marshall Family Hall, which is located at... 3220 11th Avenue South. There you go. Thank you very much. We are also, Crime Stoppers is also going to be hosting another forum very similar on October 10th at the same address. Now, in, in between, I just wanted to also announce that city officials are going to all, will be coming to all nine neighborhood councils and giving public safety presentations uh, in August and September. And that'll be another opportunity for people to hear about the levy and to ask questions. And the city then will also be hosting another town hall meeting on September 18th, 
at the Mansfield Center at 6 o'clock. So there's ample opportunity for people to get out there and learn. And again, like I say, it doesn't matter where you stand on the levee. Get out there and learn. It gives you opportunities to ask the questions. And I assure you, you will come away knowing a lot more. Not just one thing that you're going to learn. And and you will find it. I've been to a number of these forums. And boy, do I come away with a different perspective when and especially if, if you are uh, what I would say if you're kind of cynical about everything and and what goes on with our police and our public safety folks you come out here and I assure you that you will understand just the heart that these folks have to serve and so that when you're putting in you know your hard-earned tax dollars you know whether you want the public safety levy or not, just know that you've got some people that dedicate their lives to this, and you're going to be hearing from some of those at the the forums coming up. Mm-hmm. Not only this one, you know, in August, but uh, also in, in October and September at right. the Civic yeah. Center. Mm-hmm. So educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself. <laughs> and I want to just give my deep appreciation, uh, Shane, Gavin, Sandra, for, for coming on the show today and, and discussing this important topic. Thank you very much, Thomas. Yes, thanks for having us. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. And that was Shane Etzweiler, President and CEO of the Great Falls Area Chamber of Commerce, Gavin Sunquist, the Youth Mentor Manager at Youth Dynamics, and Sandra Gwynn, the President and Secretary of the Cascade County Crime Stoppers. Thank you very much for listening. And join us two weeks from today for another episode of Voices and Views.